Please be seated. I just, I just have to say thank you to our worship team, um, new members on base. We have Jacob and uh, Addie Joe violin. So it's awesome to have new people. Thank you. Yes. And also, so you don't forget, those that control everything. Our tech crew who do everything, and they're always there. Thank you. Thank you for that. God's given us new tech people, too, and uh, uh, it's, been, it's been great. It takes a team. It's a whole team. And so thank you, guys. Awesome job for all you do. Once upon a time, there was a little old man. His eyes blinked and his hands trembled. When he ate, the silverware clattered. He missed his mouth as often as not and dribbled his food on the tablecloth. He lived with his son, having nowhere else to live. His son's wife was not sure in-laws belonged or should be tolerated in a woman's house. She said, I can't have this. It interferes with a woman's happiness. So she and her husband at mealtimes took this little old man to the corner of the kitchen and had him sit on a stool and fed him his food in an earthenware bowl. From then on, as he, he always ate in the corner, blinking at the table with wistful eyes. One day... The old man's hands trembled more than usual, and he dropped the bowl, which broke into pieces. The daughter-in-law was angry and said, if you are a pig, then maybe you should eat out of a trough. So they made him a little wooden trough, and he got his meals served in the trough. This couple had a four-year-old son, of whom they were very fond. One dinner time, the young man noticed his boy was playing with some pieces of wood, and he asked, what are you doing? He smiled as he looked up for approval and said, I'm making a trough to feed you and mama out of when I get big. The man and his wife looked at each other for a while, and they didn't speak. Then they cried a little. Then they went back to the corner and took the little old man by the arm and led him back to the table. They sat him in a comfortable chair and gave him food on a plate. From then on, nobody ever scolded when he clattered or spilled or broke things. Some of you may recognize that as a story of one of Grimm's fairy tales. One of Grimm's fairy tales. The modern version might be to take Grandpa to the nursing home and Never see him again. Out of sight, out of mind, out of problem. This, in a crude way, illustrates the fifth commandment. Honor your parents, lest your children dishonor you. Or in Joy Davidman's words, a society that destroys the family destroys itself. Family. Family. Family ties. 
When we think of family today, we think of our children, our parents, and our siblings. Usually it's only after we become parents that we look back and up towards our parents with new insight and new appreciation. And we say, wow, this is what my parents did for me. The fifth commandment is at the heart of Jesus' ethical teaching called the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is also the heart of the fifth commandment. And I want us to read it today as we look at family ties. Family ties. Exodus 20, verse 12. It's just one verse out of the Exodus 20. And it reads this. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. The fifth commandment is about family. It's about family. All of us are children, and many of us, if not all of us, or most of us, are parents. The first four commandments have to do with our relationship with God, vertical. The last six commandments deal with our relationship with other people. It's horizontal. And the first of these last six commandments deals with family, relationships within the family, or family ties. This is the centerpiece, the starting point for all relationships. Maxie Dunham writes, unless people learn to live together in a family, they aren't likely to learn to get along with anybody anywhere. Let's start by looking at some background. There's background in history. This commandment was written to a society or culture that was largely a clan society. As we look at letter A, the establishment of family. When this commandment was written, the man, the father, was the undisputed leader of each family. Undisputed leader. It's not like today where the man who says he's the king of the house will usually lie about other things as well. But this is a different circumstance. As a clan society, because the father was the undisputed leader, children were seen as extensions of their father's body or his being. They were connected very closely. Individualism was unthinkable. A person's identity was seen in connection with their parents. The identity as a clan member was primary. What they were as individuals was secondary because one could only survive as a clan member. Outside the family back in this day, you could never live or even survive. Life and death were dependent on your connection, your inclusion, the clan, in the clan or the family. A man was not so much as himself as a son of the father, son of his father. In the Old Testament, we read all the time, David, son of Jesse, Solomon, son of David, etc. A person's name was always connected with their father, Jesus, son of Joseph. In my Norwegian heritage, some of you are also Norwegian, the same thing occurred as recently as in the early 1900s. If your name was Hansen, you were the son of Hans. Svensson, you were the son of Sven. Anderson, you were the son of Ander. Nordvet. I've never quite understood that actual application. But actually, my grandfather, when my grandfather came from Norway, immigrated in about 1917, his last name was Hansen. He was the son of Hans. But there were too many Hansons in the Bellingham, Washington area. He didn't want to get lost. So he took the name of the place he came from, 
So he took the last name Nordvet. And I've been living with the consequences ever since. <laughs> Klansmen, have you ever tried to spell your name when it's N-O-R, that, that part is bad, but N-O-R, D-T-V-E-D-T. D-T-V-E-D-T. Anyway, you probably don't have to deal with that, but Nordvet, you do. You have to deal with it. Klansmen saw themselves as an extension of the father or family. And many cultures of our world still today retain this family value. Maxie Dunham says the Jewish family had a sense of identity, a sense of order. This sense of order and identity gave them roots and strength, perspective and discipline. At the heart of that family structure was a reverence for parents, a high regard, a respect, and esteem for older members of the family. The elderly were honored and cared for. When I was a missionary kid in Japan, one of the things that I noticed about the culture, it may be different than it was then, but the elderly were honored immeasurably. If you had gray hair and you were elderly, you were lifted up in the elderly. It was part of their culture. Well, the establishment of family is followed by the breakdown, the breakdown of family. Over the last century, things began to change in America, started to change. When America was an agrarian farming society, we had a family farm with the father's occupation was passed on to the sons. Many in Eau Claire still are in possession of their family farm. I know some of you still have possession of your family farm. In that day, the father's knowledge was useful to his sons. Then we entered the industrial age. Then the father's knowledge was out of date before his sons were half grown. And of course, by the time we get to today, the information of the high-tech age, the knowledge of the parents is out of date as quick as the latest software update video game or smartphone app. Our knowledge seems to be irrelevant to the next generation. In the Old Testament, children were viewed as a form of wealth and power, same as the early days of America. That slowly changed until children were considered a burden, not an asset. With that shift came the subtle change in perspective. Now the elderly parents were a burden and an interference to other people's lives. The family began to break down. You've lived through this, you've watched it, you've seen it. The family began to break down in America from a unit that was strong, vibrant, and healthy to a fragmented shadow of what it once was and intended to be. Since we are all children, many of us are parents, we must ask two questions. Where did the family begin to break apart? And what can we do about it? Did children first begin to show disrespect for their parents because they were irrelevant? Or did parents start to slide by showing disrespect or devaluing of children? We're not sure, probably both. The breakdown of the family has happened over the last 50 years particularly. Let's look at, the, at marriage in general. Marriage in general. Douglas Winall in Marriage and Family of Vital Institutions in Crisis wrote this. He said, long held assumptions about marriage and family and their value to society are being challenged by modern social critics. What is a happy marriage and what is a healthy family? Your Bible explains why these are important for your life and society. Is marriage out of date? Can the family be redefined without consequences? 
Does it matter whether we accept alternative lifestyles alongside traditional marriage and family? We live in these times. The historic pillars of Western civilization, which were biblical religion, marriage, and family, are under siege and crumbling, and we've seen a disintegration of marriage, particularly over the last 20 years. The fundamental building blocks of human society have been compromised and rejected. Glenn Stanton, a social research analyst, makes an observation that the family in the Western world has been radically altered, some claim almost destroyed by the events of the last three decades. He says the scale of marital breakdowns in the West since 1960 has no historical precedent. There has been nothing like it for the last 2,000 years. It's amazing. One Harvard sociologist wrote, the, the regime that permits chronically excessive illicit disorderly sex activities contributes to the decline of cultural creativity. The entire record of history confirms that despair and disaster are the natural consequences of irresponsible self-indulgence. Carl Henry talks about increasing rejection of monogamous marriage and the ready accommodation of divorce, legitimization of homosexuality and lesbianism as alternate lifestyles. And it leads to a cultural Armageddon. We see the results of that all the way into the transgender movement. It's all happened when family started to fall apart. We've observed it. That's the breakdown of the family when it comes to marriage. What about the care, care of children? Care of children. Make no mistake, children were made to be raised in families. Two parents, a man and a woman. That they've studied over and over again. You don't have to be a biblical scholar or Christian psychologist or anything. They, just Christian psychologists, secular psychologists, psychiatrists, all have come to the conclusion the optimal place to rear children is in a family with one man, one woman, parents together. The breakdown started when dad went off to work. The absentee father, his, his job was to work and mom's job was to nurture the kids. Dad's job was to bring home the bacon and be a disciplinarian. Mom would say to the kids, just wait till your dad gets home. How many of you ever heard that? <laughs> yeah. Just wait till dad gets home. Well, that's kind of what happened. For many years in America, it was not considered manly to love or nurture with affection the children in the family. Then in our scramble to have more, an economic necessity dictated that moms had to go to work. Then we saw our children only in the evenings and weekends. We let someone else carry out child-rearing responsibilities, and daycare became the choice. Someone said this, if you put your children in daycare from the time they are born, you can expect your children to put you in a nursing home when you're old. Wow. What happens to single parents? It's hard, very difficult, challenging. Because of the breakdown of family in general, the supportive networks don't exist anymore. Grandparents who used to be present, even in the home of children growing up, are retired, and many times they're absent. We know a couple. They don't live here. They lived in the Pacific Northwest. Their children got married and had small children of their own. 
And this is what they told their kids. We did our job. You're on your own. They bought a condo in Palm Springs and a small yacht and spent all their time golfing or cruising the Puget Sound. Now, I'm not blaming anybody here. But there's a breakdown of family. Now, far more instances I know where the grandparents sell their home and move to wherever their grandchildren are so they can be involved in family life. I know how important it is for grandparents to be involved in the life of their grandchildren. And many, many here fill that category because you see the value and importance of family. Family. So you have the breakdown of family, part of the results. Then you have the care of the elderly. The natural consequences of all this was the deterioration of the care of our elderly. Physically, physically, we have the best care available, the best retirement centers, assisted living centers, memory care centers, nursing homes. And I don't want to be cynical, but I wish the motives were entirely altruistic, not materialistic. There's a lot of money to be made in elder care today. We know that. Physical care, but are they honored? That's the question. Taking care, are they honored? Now let's look at the command, Roman numeral two. Honor your father and mother. Um, What's the definition of honor? The American Heritage Dictionary defines honor as to esteem, to respect, and to reverence. It means caring, showing affection, prizing one highly, placing value upon, and love them. Now, we all tend to think of this command differently depending on the age of our parents or our age as children. When we think about growing up, when we were age four, our parents knew everything. They knew everything. At age 10, our parents didn't know everything, but they knew more than me. At age 16, our parents have lost their minds and know nothing, nothing at all. At age 18, I know far more than my parents. At age 23, my parents have learned a great deal over the last five years. (laughs) And then when we have our own children, our parents, their grandparents, once again, know everything. Isn't that the case? What a cycle. Honor, prize, and respect. Obviously, parents do not know everything. But it's amazing how that honoring the parents shifts a little bit from time to time. Ephesians 5. I want, we, don't have a lot, we don't have time to unpack the whole thing. I just want to read a couple of verses that talks about parents and children. Ephesians 5.21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Sixth chapter, uh, verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. When I was a student ministries pastor, I was occasionally called on to mediate between parents and their children. 
And I would talk about this and say, kids, obey your parents, honor them. Sometimes we had to explain that. I also had to say to the parents, don't exasperate or frustrate your kids. Find a way to communicate. There's, there's, a, there's a role here for both. There's a role of honoring and there's a role for parent, kids to honor their parents and parents to honor their children. What is the definition? That's the definition of honor. Let's look at the responsibilities of parents to children. Four things, training, modeling, there's living it out, love, and discipline. Training, modeling, to live it out, love, and discipline. A Sunday school teacher was discussing the Ten Commandments with their five and six-year-olds, and after explaining the commandment to honor your father and mother, she asked, is there another commandment that teaches us how to treat our brothers and sisters? Without missing a beat, one little boy, the oldest in his family, said, thou shalt not kill. Let's look at the responsibility of the children to the parents. Let her see. First is obey. I didn't say that. God did. God says that. I know you don't like that 12 midnight curfew and everybody gets to stay out later than you, but that's kind of the thing that we had. I was, ple- I was pleaded on my brothers. They got to do this and I didn't or whatever. And Of course, they would always say, you're letting him do things far younger than I ever did. And, you know, there was this constant conversation. Honor. Number two, honor. Respect fear, revere, and highly prize. What, what happens as our parents age? We all grow up, we gain independence, we become adults ourselves. And there are certain signs of growing up. I remember when I turned 18, just graduated from high school, my expression of independence was to buy my own car. I worked summer jobs, saved my money, had a down payment, and bought my first car with my own money. It was important because dad and mom weren't going to buy it for me. I had to buy it myself. It was a 1967 two-door Ford Fairlane Coupe, 289 V8. I jacked up the back, got wide tires, and put baby moons on it, and that was my car. My expression of independence was getting a car, my own car. All through our lives, we are children of our parents. We depend on parents. They're strong. They may bail us out of trouble, make that car payment when we're between jobs, supplement our rent, let us live at home for a while, whatever. They are there for us. Or we're there for them. Then one day there's an almost imperceptible shift in roles. Many of you have been through this. At age 23, I was a student at John Brown University in Arkansas, and I received a phone call one night My father, who lived in North Dakota, was in the hospital. He had major blockages, and he was going to have what back then was experimental surgery. It was triple bypass surgery, open heart bypass operation. He was only 53 years old. I I was unable to get home in time, so I stayed at school, not really knowing how serious the surgery was. After surgery... They kept him in ICU sedated for 30 days. Nine years later, he had the same surgery and they had him up walking the next day. Big change. Now, if you have blockages, you can call Mayo Hospital and they say, 
Come to your lunch break, we'll put a few stints in, you can go back for afternoon shift. <laughs> That's our routine, not quite, I'm, I'm being facetious. Not quite that routine, right? Okay. But basically, there's a big difference. But I'll never forget, when I came home for Christmas after dad had had his surgery at 53, five weeks after surgery, I met my dad at the door of our home in Grand Forks, North Dakota. And I was met by an old, aged, stooped, and weak man. A shift in roles commenced immediately. I became his protector. I stayed home to finish college at the University of North Dakota because I had to shovel the snow, maintain the cars, take care of the house. I, it was all of a sudden I was taking care of my father. Now, my father recovered, became very strong, and then did ministry for 27 more years. So he, he did really well on that. But I'll never forget the day that my role changed for the very first time. It's part of life. Maybe it happened to you. You were walking with your parent. They stumbled, lost their balance, and, and nearly fell. Maybe, maybe you were riding in a car together. Mom was older, more fragile, can't see as well. And suddenly, in a near-miss accident, you realize that you had reached out to protect her. How do we honor our father and mother as they age? When I was in college, I worked as an orderly in a nursing home. And one of my many jobs working through college, great education, some in the nursing home were physically ambulatory, mentally sharp. Others were helpless, physically suffering from dementia or Alzheimer's. And some had no family at all. But what appalled me most was to see those that had family close by and they never visited them. Some had to have constant care. For some, it was a repository until they died. They all received excellent care from the staff. The difference, family. Family ties. Some were honored by family. Some were ignored. Our aging parents need our time and attention even more if they're removed from the setting of home and family. We're a culture that easily disposes of our elderly. When they can no longer contribute to society, they're called a burden. When they can no longer perform their daily functions, we put them away like the little old man in the Grimm's fairy tale. The love stops when we can no longer have love returned. My father passed away suddenly at age 80. My mother, however, slowly declined over a long period of time suffering from dementia and Alzheimer's. When she no longer had an awareness of where she was, needing 24-hour care, we put her in a group home. It's a very hard decision. When I visited her, she knew family, but was unable to carry on a normal conversation or function mentally. And through that experience, it occurred to me that we value people as a society. We value people for what they can do. And when they can no longer do 
they're considered a burden or useless. God values us as we be, not do, just be. My mother was as valuable as she was in the group home, as she was when she was a pastor's wife of 45 years and a brilliant writer of over 30 published books. Same person. She just be. She didn't have to do. She was valuable. Just there. The question is not, should we put dad or mom in a nursing home? None of us is equipped to do 24-hour care. The question is, are we honoring our father and mother? And can we continue to honor them as they receive the care they need? Underlying this commandment is a clear valuation of human life and human dignity from conception to natural death. No matter what our life stage, the beginning of life, the end of life, life is precious and life is valuable. Now there's a promise, interestingly. This is the first commandment with a promise, it says. There's a promise that comes with this commandment. The promise, Roman numeral three, is honor your father and mother so that, the promise, it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God has given you. Basically, live long, live well, and enjoy life. Why does God give us this commandment? You wonder why. Why does God give us this commandment? God's top ten. It's about relationship. It's all about family. It's for our good and the good of society. Long life and security in your land. Honor your father and mother. God's promise of security, long life, and good life. Because when a family lives together in order under God, the result is a quality of life that God intended. God says, I promise. Let's pray.